0: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guests today are Josh Kilmer Purcell and Brent Ridge, also known as the fabulous Beekman Boys. Now, they're not your typical farmers. They both left urban lifestyles behind to start Beekman Farm in upstate New York. But as devotees of their reality series know, their entrepreneurial spirit makes up for any challenges they encounter as they raise their many animals and produce organic products like goat milk soap and cheese the reality series is an amusing look at that adventure and today we're going to get an inside peek at it ourselves as well as the phenomenal business and brand they have going with beekman so welcome to the show today
1: hi great to be here
0: glad that you can be here and share this with us you guys like i said in the introduction you guys don't really fit the farmer profile what was your story before the farm
2: Well, we were two city guys um, in New York City. Brent was a physician, and he um, then led up the health and wellness division for Martha Stewart Living. Um, And I worked in advertising and uh, had written several books. And we were in upstate New York one weekend in in 2006 just picking apples as a getaway, and and we fell in love with the farm and we bought it, Um, again, just thinking it was going to be a weekend getaway. Mm Mm-hmm. But then uh, we got a letter in our mailbox from a man named Farmer John who was losing his farm and he needed a new place to bring his goats and we thought it'd be fun to have goats. Um, And so he came with his goats and then in 2008, like so many Americans, you know, our world came crashing down and we both lost our jobs within 30 days of each other. And so we realized that if we were going to save this new farm that we had, we were going to have to, you know, learn how to farm and quick.
0: Yes, I'd say so. (laughs) So how did you do that? How did you gain that experience?
1: Well, of course, we had Farmer John there with us. uh, So that was a giant head start. And then literally um, two things were our salvation. One was Google and uh, two was our, neighbor, our neighbors. And, you know, things that we didn't know, we would first, you know, knock on the door of our neighbors. Like when we started raising chickens, we went to a neighbor who was raising chickens, a neighboring farm, and said, how do we get started? And same with our pigs and rabbits and turkeys and whatever else we were trying to do. And, um, and then when we first started learning how to do soap and cheese and things like that, we literally just Googled how to make Goat cheese, how to make goat milk <laughs> soap. And um, you'd be surprised at what you can learn by watching a YouTube video.
0: Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I know. But the fact that you could uh, really gain all this knowledge with the people around you, and that, I mean, it's kind of uh, uh, extreme. You could learn knowledge from people who are right in your backyard practically or right next to the farm, and then from worlds away through Google. So uh, you, you use technology and you used good old common community to teach yourselves these things how, how did it go was it was it pretty slow going at first or did things take off right away
2: well I mean, we had um, a fair amount of success right away we we first started making go milk soap and you know it was the very beginning of the makers movement artisanal movement so we, we got a good amount of press that got us started um, but we realized that our contribution to farming in our community was not necessarily learning how to become better farmers or better craft people Um, our contribution was that we moved here from the city as marketers and you know and with an advertising background and media background and there were all these amazing artisans and craftspeople in our region who were making these wonderful things but they weren't able to make a living at doing what they love because they weren't able to sell it. Mm -hmm. So we realized that um, not only could we save our own farm by marketing the goods, the, the goat milk soap, and later the goat milk cheese, but we could work with our neighbors, the blacksmiths, the potters, the weavers, and help market their goods under a brand. Bigman, 1802.
0: Right. They taught you, and now you help them uh, with the branding and marketing and a place to sell from. And you, you know, what is that? A rising tide raises all ships. Something like that. It sounds like that's the experience that you've had.
2: That's exactly right. We've said that a thousand times. (laughs) times.
0: (laughs) Well, now, Beekman 1802, that's where everything centers are. And by the way, this is in upstate New York, right?
1: That's right. And the way the company got its name was um, our farm was originally built by a gentleman named William Beekman in the year 1802. So that's how we got the name of our company. And he was the actual first merchant in this area of upstate New York. And he situated his mercantile right off of what was called the Lunenburg Turnpike, which was um, kind of the last civilized and mapped road in the Northeast. So when wagon trains were leaving the Northeast to head out West, you know, because again, this was in the time of the Louisiana Purchase and the Westward Expansion, he, his mercantile became the last stop for gas, so to speak. So mm. as the wagon trains were were heading out and they came off of that last road um, he was there to sell them any provisions that they thought they might
2: need
0: Wow, that's quite a story, and, and th- that's come full circle. And and you're selling all of these things now. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, Beekman 1802. It's a farm, um, and we want. I want to talk too about some of the uh, farming methods that you use before we get away today. But you know, it's more than a farm. You have a TV show, mercantile. You know, the store, best-selling cookbook, and you've got memoirs. And Josh, I know that you know you've got two New York Times best-selling books. You have. It's a tourism destination. I mean. People people know you as a well-known lifestyle brand. Tell us about uh, all those different enterprises and how you built that. I mean, it didn't well, start no, that way.
1: Really, for lack of a better term, was organic growth. Um, we, um, <laughs> you know, we were just living our lives and everything started with a blog, You know, we started just keeping a blog after we moved up to the farm um, so that our city friends could know what we were doing now that we were three and a half hours outside of New York City. And um, a the president of what was then a channel called Planet Green, which was one of the discovery networks, um, read our blog and thought it was interesting what we were doing and approached us about doing a TV show. And that's how The Fabulous Speakman Boys came about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really, you know, the whole thing, everything that we do is inspired by our life on the farm and we just lead our life. So um, I I guess if that is what makes you a lifestyle brand, then so be it. Um, But we you know, never set out to be experts in anything or um, necessarily to be teachers of anything. We just wanted to share and, you know, share what we were learning. We're constantly learning something new every day, um, either about business or about farming. And we just wanted to share those experiences with everybody. And I think that, you know, when we were first starting out, it was really right as, you know, Facebook and social media were starting to take off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we launched our Facebook page, um, you know, for our farm, I don't know, even know if there was another single farm on Facebook because that was, you know, when Facebook was just about finding high, you know, people you went to high school with. Right. And, um, and we just kind of rode that wave of social media and community building and, um, you know, that's, that's what led to the growth of our company.
0: Now, you had said uh, that the channel that you were on, you're now on the Cooking Channel, though, right? I just want to make sure if somebody tries to go out and find your show that perhaps hasn't seen it, that they're looking in the right place.
1: That's right. Well, Planet Green, which started our show subsequently mm-hmm. folded, uh, it went out of business, and the Cooking Channel purchased the rights of the show. So you can find if They'll run them in marathons periodically so people can just keep a lookout on the cooking channel for it
0: exactly we talked about the lifestyle brand all these different products that you carry your own plus some of the other craftsmen and artisans in the area you have a new line of food products as well tell us about that
2: so we started a project with target uh well we started on our own and then target became a partner called the mortgage After project and that was um our attempt to create a product that used small farm ingredients as much as possible, but could be sold in national grocery stores. It was our attempt, really, to get small farmers represented in grocery stores. Um, one stat we use is that the farmer's market in America will generate about $1 billion of revenue this year, which is great. Mm. But the grocery store industry generates over $630 billion in, in revenue. So if we want to get small farmers um, a better, bigger piece of the pie, we needed to get them in grocery stores. So we started this uh, line of farm pantry products called the Mortgage Lifter, which use a certain percentage of ingredients from small farms across America and then give away up to 25% of the profits back to small farms in America. And it ranges from tomato sauces to salsas to condiments to baking mixes, salad dressings, um, and Target is our primary national retailer. in
0: Yeah, and those are available now in Target, right?
2: Exactly. They... they We started with just the pasta sauce two years ago, um, and it did so well that um, they expanded and asked us to come up with 48 new products, which launched last November, and now they're in 1,400 stores. But what I think it showed us was that, um, you know, American grocery consumers, moms and dads and and all that, they they shop at farmer's markets on weekends. They may have a CSA box in the summer delivered to them from a local farm. But when they get to the grocery store, there's really not a good option for them to support small farms. And and that was the need we're trying to fill.
0: Exactly. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking with the Beekman boys, the fabulous Beekman boys, about their competition in the amazing race. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business?
1: I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For, for taking me, me to the doctor when I broke my foot. For leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and
0: now, now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom. For taking you to your therapies. For understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone.
1: Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Adkinson.
0: Good morning, welcome back to Smart Companies Radio I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media We're talking here this morning with Josh Kilmer Purcell and Brent Bridge The fabulous Beekman boys We've been talking about how they got started with their farm on Beekman Called Beekman 1802 The fabulous enterprise that it has become And now I want to talk with you about the amazing race You competed in that in 2012 and you won Tell us about that experience it was
2: torture. <laughs> I can only imagine. Plain and simple. It, is, it was really hard. Um, but we, uh, our first show, Fabulous Speaking Voice, um, it wound up being a, a favorite of the head of CBS reality television. Um, and so we were we were kind of, we had applied to be on the Amazing Race, and, and we didn't know that this woman was a fan of ours, and so she invited us to be on. And we... At first we were a little ret- reticent because we were a new business starting out and we, we wanted, wanted to make sure we were, we would portray ourselves as good for the brand under such stressful circumstances, but mm-hmm. at the end the the size of the audience outweighed the risk and we, you know, we went ahead and did the race and beating all the odds, we came in first. <laughs>
0: yeah, I would say that you had a big audience share, 10 million viewers watching for about 12 weeks. Uh, how many other competitors were in the race with you?
2: There were 11 other teams. Um, so, okay. he, yes, it's very competitive, and we were, we were kind of, people who know the Amazing Race know that they're sort of archetypal uh, teams, and we were the, you know, the middle-aged uh, LGBT couple that probably wasn't favored to win over <laughs> right. the <football>
0: <laughs> yeah and you know some people again not not everybody has watched it and this isn't a race like you know you you, you run a marathon or something like this this is oh, no. a, an around the world race It's
2: a race around the world with no money um, you know finding your own way competing in challenges eating strange things jumping off buildings all of that all in three weeks why did you do it we really did it because we saw it as a great opportunity for free marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that that sounds odd, but, you know, we were a new business, and as you said, there were 10 million viewers a week, and we thought if we can just hang in there for three or four weeks, you know, that's a pretty good commercial buy right there. <laughs> and, I'd,
0: yeah, I'd say so. And
2: it turns out that we went all the way through and, and wound up winning. You know, just like our previous reality show, we did weigh the, the risk of Being on television, and when you're exposing your brand in reality circumstances, you can do damage if you're not careful.
0: Definitely. We've seen that happen more times than not. Uh, What was your biggest takeaway from participating in the race? Maybe your biggest lesson learned or something you found out about yourselves?
2: I think our biggest takeaway was um, literally to not give up. Um, We were... You know, when we lost our jobs and we started the company, um, that was the first lesson in not giving up. And then The Amazing Race was like a condensed, high-stress version of that, where we were far behind um, through much of the race. Um, all the odds were stacked against us. And it would have been very easy for us to find a way to bow out gracefully.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: but we didn't. And, and we, we persevered and, and won against all of the, the favored teams.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a true story for small business, too. And, you know, in so many ways, the challenges that you've faced are similar to challenges that all entrepreneurs face. You know, how to control, well, just first to getting started and and creating the business. And then, then once you start to have some success, learning how to control that growth and making sure that the demand doesn't outpace what you can deliver. How have you managed to control all that?
2: Well, it doesn't necessarily feel like we have every day. No, we're, <laughs> we're learning every day. And we're
1: making mistakes every day, just like um, every entrepreneur and small business does. But um,
2: I think I think one thing that we have learned is that the way our culture and our business is evolving is that you have to have a mix of a lot of things. If you look at any individual sector, be, re- be it retail it media, um, you know, right down, you know, book publishing, product manufacturing. The reason we do everything is because we know each one of those sectors faces challenges in in the current business environment. So really, diversification, even though it wasn't planned from the very beginning, it was sort of thrust upon us. Um, diversifying our efforts, I think, is what is what has helped us succeed. Now, of course, with diversification comes a lot of stress and and difficulties in planning, but it also provides air cover and backup when one particular part of it isn't going well.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about some of the challenges that you face, that other entrepreneurs face, but what have you learned from the goats there on the farm?
1: Oh Well, we've learned so many life lessons from uh, the goats on the farm. Um, I think that one of the most important things that we learned is Understanding who in your community—whether that means the community where you're, you know, your geographic community, or the community, you know, the you know the greater business community in the industry that you happen to be working—who that goat is in that community with the biggest horns. Um, because if anyone who's watched goats long enough will 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 realize that they're always butting heads, <laughs> and they will spend all day kind of butting heads, trying to figure out who the pe- you know what the pecking order is in the herd, and invariably the same goat is the goat that comes out on top, and that is the goat with the biggest horns, and um, you know I think if you understand who that goat is in your community or your business community, uh, it's really important because that goat could either be tremendously helpful to you because the goat with the biggest horns has the most power, but they can also be incredibly damaging to you as well if you're on the wrong side. So understanding who that person is can be really critical to the success of your business.
2: And not to view that person as a competitor. I think that we look at our competitors and we we think we need to butt heads with our competitors, but in reality... A lot of times, working with our competitors works better for everyone.
0: Oh yeah, great lessons there. Talk to us about the sustainable farming methods that you use.
2: Well, we are an organically managed farm. Um, we are not certified organic, um, but the way that we we farm is the way that we that William Bigman would have farmed, you know, 200 years ago. Uh, we we are primarily a goat dairy and we raise all of the pasture land for the, for the goats, and we have bees on the, on the farm, 42 hives, which provide the honey for a lot of our products, and then also, of course, pollinate the pastures and our gardens, and, and then our gardens supply our food. We, we grow pretty much all of our food at this point, um, except for some of the meat which we exchange with our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our farm is pretty self-sustaining.
0: Yeah, and I read something too about that as far as the meat goes because, you know, meat uh, to process that and so forth, it, it takes up quite a bit of resources, and I don't think a lot of people know that. And you do some of your own uh, butchering right there on the farm, and you do that for humane reasons. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, that's right. When we, um, every uh, couple years, we'll raise pigs or a cow. And, um, you know, what we learned, and, again, it's, it all goes back to we're learning the process as well, is that when you're harvesting an animal, um, the most traumatic thing for that animal is the transportation. So if you are you know, trying to load up the, the pigs or the cow and, you know, take them someplace, take them to a, you know, a, a slaughterhouse to, you know, to be dressed, uh, that's very, very traumatic for them. And um, so, this you know, by having the, the harvesting done right there on our farm, um, it actually makes the, the experience for the animal much more humane. And this is how, when we did the, our pig for the very first time years ago, this was how um, the person explained it to us. He said, listen because you know, we were already crying. You know, of we, course, cried we, we the minute we woke <laughs> up that morning. And um, sure, you know the the person said, "Listen, animals have no concept of death, and you know they, you know, it's not, they don't see horror movies, and they don't read the newspapers, and you know, they don't understand death. So, uh, and you know, and that's exactly how it." how it played out. And I, I don't know if you want me to uh, graphically go into no, we how can... I harvest <laughs> it, but um, you know, it, it really played out exactly the way he said. You know, they were completely comfortable and you know, had no concept of what was happening. And for us, it was just an actually beautiful moment to go through that entire process for the first time because I'll tell you, when, when you have that on your plate um, you remember, and you remember mm-hmm. crying, and you remember the emotions to it, and that's how it should be. You know, the animals make an incredible sacrifice to go on our plates, and you know, I think a lot of times we take that for granted. You know, when, uh, as I've said before, when you're eating a ninety-nine cent hamburger from some place, you're not thinking about the sacrifice that that animal made. Right. And, uh, we think that's wrong.
0: And so much of the food that is, the meat that is tossed out, uh, you know, somebody takes a couple of bites out of the second hamburger and throws the rest away, uh, you know, you're basically throwing that animal away then. You launched another media venture last fall. It's a new magazine. Uh, tell us about that and why you did
1: it. Yeah, well, we're, I guess we're old school because, you know, everybody says magazines are dying. Um, but we have always been so inspired by the idea of the Old Farmers' Almanac. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to create a modern version of that, kind of a more um, you know, lifestyle-oriented version of that that was applicable, not just to you know, someone who's farming, but to anybody who wants to, to lead a simpler life and get the most out of each season. So um, we created um, the Beakland 1802 Almanac. And uh, that's a partnership with Meredith Publications. Um, they also do Martha Stewart and Rachel Ray and Better Homes and Gardens. Mm-hmm. And we had our first issue come out last September, and uh, our next issue is coming out this May. And our our aim is to make it a quarterly. And really, the the tagline of the magazine is "Cultivate a Better Life," and that was a very deliberate um, phrase for us because. You know, we don't think that anybody deserves a better life. We think that if you want a better life, then you have to work for it. And so that idea of cultivating something and nourishing something and growing something is really important. Uh, and, you know, going back to taking things for granted, we don't think that anything in life should be taken for granted. We think that when you work for it then and you earn it, then you appreciate it that much more.
0: Why do you think people are so intrigued by the Beekman boys?
2: Well, I think a lot of things that we're that we're doing in life are things that that people either uh, dream of trying or are, are planning on trying the idea of you know starting to grow your own food or start your own business, um, or even you know try some of these new ventures, food production and working with your neighbor and launching magazines and media. I think these are things that a lot of people would like to try in their lives. Um, we're just we're just out here doing it. For them, and they can learn from us, and, and back to something Brent said earlier, we don't portray ourselves as experts, which I think is makes makes it hard to relate. You know, when when you have lifestyle experts who are teaching you to do everything, um, oftentimes you feel like, well, that's something I can never do myself. Whereas we're we're just experimenting and we're sharing our lives with people, and I think that makes us and what we're doing more accessible.
0: Right. Now, do you have a way for people to buy the products other than the ones that you have available now in Target? Do they have to come on site and go to Beekman 1802 in order to purchase? Can they get them online? Where are they available?
1: Yes. If you go to Beekman1802.com, you can shop our entire mercantile um, right there. Um, We also have a, a tag on the homepage where you can search by your zip code, Because we have, you know, retail partners across the country who carry, um, you know, various different parts of the line. Uh, And then, of course, people can come visit us in Sharon Springs where we have our flagship mercantile, right where William Beekman had his. And um, uh, we do pop-ups, you know, around the country. Right Mm -hmm. now our pop-up is in Boston, New York, our little pop-up shop. And um, so we try to be as accessible to people as possible.
0: Okay, pop-up shops. So you go around the country and you have them up for, what, a weekend, a month? How, tell us about that.
2: We usually have them up for a season. So a season? in the summer okay. season, we'll find a, a small town that has a spot on their main street that they'd like full. You know, as you heard from our story, we're very much um, dedicated to helping main street America and small towns America, uh, in America. So if, if there's a small town that has a space they need full for the summer, um, you know, we wind up choosing one of those. And the same thing for holiday time. It's just, so really, we're,
0: we use our pop-up shops for three or four months at a time. Beekman1802.com. You can go out there. You can find out more about the story. You can buy products. You can find locations in your community, perhaps, where these products are available, too. And you can also catch the uh, show on the cooking channel, The Fabulous Beekman Boys. Congratulations and much continued success.
1: Thanks so much. It's a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Absolutely. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c radio.com